Good morning. How was Thanksgiving? Anybody here from Murrieta? Yeah, I just spent Thanksgiving there. That's what I thought. Um, it's an interesting place. It's almost impossible to get to from North Orange County. Anyway, my name's Austin Helm. Uh, I'm a teaching and venue pastor here at EV Free. If this is your first time to EV Free, uh, we want to welcome you and say that we're simply a community uh, of people that have decided that following Jesus is the best possible life to live, but we can't do it alone. We have to do it as family, and so we gather here because we think we're a family on mission to go into our, into our spheres of influence, uh, to heal and to restore the world. Uh, and we know that one of the things the world is lacking these days is peace. Peace tends to be a thing that is elusive. Uh, the minute we have it, it seems to be the, the exact minute it escapes. A famous person once said, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of strife. Uh, peace is not the absence of difficulty. I- instead, peace is the presence of justice. Peace is the presence of goodness. Peace is the presence of kindness. You see, if I'm honest with myself, when I think about peace, I oftentimes have thought about it in the sense that it's an emptying of myself, an emptying of my calendar, an emptying of my text messages. My phone stops ringing and I'm not getting emails anymore. No one's at home and I get to watch football by myself. When I think about peace, oftentimes I just think about the absence of things. But when we read the text, we find that peace isn't the absence of things, it's actually the fullness of things. It's the fullness of God's goodness, the fullness of God's kindness, the fullness of God's generosity. In every single area of life, this week when I was studying, I was uh, attempting to imagine a season of my life in which I felt the most at peace, and I was thinking about my junior year of high school. Uh, my junior year of high school, it felt like everything was just in its right place. I was, I was in high school and I loved my classes. Outside of my classes, I, I had a great group of friends that I'd spend time with. My friends and I, we were into sports and so we'd spend a lot of our time playing basketball or football or ultimate frisbee and we were all free of uh, injury. I had a job, I was a car hop at Sonic, driving at 91st and Yale. Um, and, and because I didn't have a lot of expenses on the weekends, there was a little bit of financial margin for my friends and I to go watch a movie or to go out to eat. And, and so when I think about everything being in its right place, uh, one of the spaces I think about is my junior year of high school. And, and then when I think about a space of things not being in the right place, I think about my senior year of high school. Uh, late into my junior year, I, I hurt my left knee playing ultimate frisbee. And as a result, the entire next year, I just couldn't quite get back to that space where I was competing at the level I had been competing at. I decided to graduate school semester early. And as a result, some of the, the friendships I had at school and outside, uh, they didn't fracture, but they just became a little bit distant because I wasn't in that same space. My life lost a little bit of rhythm because of my decision to graduate early. It, it just seemed like all of a sudden, my, my senior year of high school, it, things were out of order. Th- there wasn't rhythm to my life. Things didn't seem to be in harmony. My junior year, everything was in harmony. My junior year, it wasn't simply a mental ascent in which I achieved some kind of sense of nirvana. And no matter what happened, I felt like I was quote unquote at peace. My junior year, this peace came because my physical body was functioning properly. 
Mentally, I was in a good space. Uh, relationally, my friendships and my, my sibling relationships and my relationship with my parents, they were all great. Financially, I was great. I was a car hop. It's awesome. When the Jewish scriptures talk about peace, they use this word called shalom. Shalom is that same kind of idea. For, for the first century mind and the ancient mind, especially in, in Jewish circles, uh, peace wasn't a space that you would go to because you would get out in the forest, uh, sit crisscross applesauce and clear your mind of all distractions. Instead, if you were thinking in a Jewish mindset in the ancient Near East from the first century, uh, peace was the fullness of God in your life. It was deep and it was rich harmony. It was everything being in its right place physically, relationally, mentally, financially, sociologically. It, it meant that the world was operating and functioning as God always designed and destined for it to work. The problem is those seasons of shalom, those seasons of peace, at least for me, seem to be few and far between. In my life, at least, there seems to at least always be one area of my life that's off axis. It's on tilt. It's not in harmony. It, it doesn't seem to be functioning the way that it's supposed to. And, and it leads me to this, this space of, God, what's, what's going on here? Why is this like this? Why is that like that, why does it seem to me that, that my life is, is out of sorts? And sometimes it's one area of my life. And I've been in seasons where it was every area of my life. It seems like my, my, my world was just simply upside down. And I just, Lord, where are you in this? Lord, are you present? Do you, do you know about this? Do you, do you, Lord, do you care about this? Is this the kind of thing you're even aware of? And the more I study the scriptures, the more I find that the answer is yes. That the Lord is deeply aware, deeply concerned with the world and at large and our individual lives. When, when the world at large is upside down, it, it grieves the heart of God and he wants to get in the middle of it and begin to put things to right. When things are out of sorts individually, he wants to get into our lives and begin to sort things out. And, and so for us, sometimes subtly, at least in the church, we would imagine this isn't the case. That on some level, because of the way we were raised or taught, we think God is simply concerned with the afterlife and everything that uh, relates to life here on earth is just up to us to sort it out and to figure it out. But when we read the text, we find that these ideas are far, far, far from the truth. And so uh, we, we picked an initial passage, which I think is one of the clearest pictures of shalom. One of the clearest pictures of peace. One of those scenes in which uh, this woman's life, it's completely upside down in every area, and Jesus just loves to get in the middle of it. And he loves to extend his peace and to get her upside down world right side up. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 24. If you don't have your Bible, we're gonna put it on the screen, so no worries. But this is Mark chapter five. This is a season in which the ministry of Jesus is exploding. If, there, if CNN was around at the time, or if the New York Times was around, Jesus would be in the headlines almost every single 
day. And Mark chapter five says that. It says, and a large crowd was following Jesus, but they're not following at a distance. It says the large crowd is pressed around Jesus. Now, no doubt this crowd is filled with all kinds of people. It's filled with devout followers and disciples who are filled with the expectation of the Messiah's here. Everything is going to be different because Jesus is with us. The crowd is no doubt filled with skeptics, those who have a one eyebrow raised. Who is this Jesus? What is he up to? Is he the person that he says to be? And no doubt the crowd is also filled with his enemies, those who would love nothing more than for the ministry of Jesus simply to end. But in this scene we have Jesus walking through this town and this large multitude of people are pressing in around Jesus, curious as to what he's gonna do next and curious as to what he's going to say next. But this, this gospel account, it focuses on one person. It's, it's a woman. It says in verse 25, and a woman was there. And this woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years is quite a long time, and one of the first things we notice about this scene is that this woman is in physical suffering. And not just physical suffering for a day, a week, a month, or a year. She's been in this scene, in this situation for 12 years. And if you've ever been sick, even for a week, you know it doesn't just affect your body, it affects your entire life. Instead of going to work, you have to stay home. Instead of going to school, you have to stay home. Instead of spending time with those that you love and care about, you're, you're kind of isolated in your bedroom with Netflix and chicken little soup, right? Like, like it, it affects everything when you're sick. And so for this woman, she, she's physically suffering, but knowing the culture of first century Israel and the ancient Near East as faith was passed down, we also know that this woman is suffering psychologically and relationally. Uh, this is because of Leviticus. You can stay in Mark uh, just briefly. And we're actually gonna, we're gonna pass through um, this passage, but I'll tell you what it means in summary. Is that if you were, if you were subject to bleeding uh, beyond what you were supposed to, and typically that was about a week each month, um, you reached a point of being unclean. And now if you were unclean, it, it wasn't a, a sense that you were sinful or that you were guilty of anything, but uh, Jewish faith, had this idea that there were those who were clean and those who were unclean. And if you were unclean, there was always a way to become clean again. And the reason they had these categories set up is they were constant reminders to Jewish people that they were a unique kind of people and they belonged to a unique kind of God. So there are all kinds of things that could make you unclean, whether it was a certain activity or being around a dead person or eating a certain kind of food or being around a certain kind of person. There are all kinds of things that can make you unclean. And for each degree of uncleanness, there was a certain ritual purity you'd have to go through to become clean again. Maybe it was a week in isolation. Maybe it was simply a bath at night. But there's all these regulations for this. Anyway, Leviticus talks about this woman's situation. And for this woman's situation, it says when the bleeding lasts longer than it's supposed to, as long as the bleeding lasts, you are considered unclean. And you can't even go through the process of becoming clean until you have stopped your bleeding. But, but the idea in the, the first century was if you were unclean, people didn't want to be around you because they didn't want to become unclean themselves. It was just a super big inconvenience. And so if you were unclean, people would kind of stay their distance. 
But it wasn't just people. It was the idea that if somebody was unclean and they touched a piece of furniture, that piece of furniture was now unclean. And any clean person that would come up and touch that piece of furniture after the unclean person, they would become unclean. So it wasn't just a person-to-person contact. It was also a person-to-material-to-person contact. And so here you have a woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years, which you can imagine, at least in the first century, with these ritual purity laws, this woman hasn't been physically touched by anybody, whether it was a handshake or a hug, for 12 years. And not only has she not been touched by humans, she's probably oftentimes not invited inside to sit on a couch or to eat at a table or to lie in a bed because it would make the rest of the house unclean. So it's, it's not just for a week that this woman is kind of pushed to the margins, it's for 12 years. I watched this YouTube uh, video recently of Pierce Brosnan, he's a famous actor. He was in New York City and he was talking about how if he goes out in New York City kind of out in the open, no sunglasses, no hat. People stop him. They stop him to get an autograph, to shake his hand, to ask him questions, to introduce themselves. It's kind of an inconvenience for him simply just to walk the streets of New York. And so he goes through this um, experiment. He gets some folks to dress him up and, and do makeup as a homeless person, the kind of homeless person you would find in New York City. And, and Pierce Brosnan, this famous actor who's all done up in, in makeup and clothing that resembles that of a homeless person, he stands on the street corner, and after it's over, he says, that was the most humbling, humiliating, and isolating thing I have ever done. I was passed by thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, and it was as if I was completely invisible. I'm so used to folks asking for my autograph or stopping me and saying, hey, are you Pierce Brosnan? And shaking my hand. And here, people would just pass by. I was in the middle of this major city and it was as if I didn't even exist. This woman would have experienced the same kind of sensation in the midst of this bustling town, yet completely isolated, completely invisible, not for a day and not for a week, but for 12 years, it's like being stuck in a perpetual junior high. It's horrible. And so, and so here you have this woman. She's physically suffering from bleeding. She's relationally suffering because she's not in contact with her community. She's psychologically suffering. That just does weird things to you. And then the text continues. This is Mark chapter five, verse 26. It said, and she had not just suffered these things, but she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And watch this. She had spent every last penny that she had. She doesn't even see signs of getting better. Instead, the signs just get worse and worse and worse. This woman is financially destitute. Broke, completely bankrupt. This girl is in an awful situation. And the text says that she heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus and she sees this large crowd just crowded around him, pressing in around him, following him. And so she came up behind Jesus in the crowd. And she touched his cloak. And and this is what she thought to herself. She thought, if I can just touch his garments, 
I'll be healed. If I can just get to Jesus, my life will change. If I can just get to Jesus, all the things that are out of order, they'll begin to be put back in order. But throughout the Gospels, you find all these accounts of men and women alike approaching Jesus face to face, either in the daylight or at night. But there's this sense that you can speak to Jesus. This woman is so embarrassed. She's so ashamed that she has this mentality that if I can just get to Jesus and touch his clothes, as it regards Old Testament law, she's going to make him unclean, which would be wildly embarrassing to do, but she's in, in desperation and completely destitute. She comes up from behind Jesus, doesn't even want Jesus to know that she was there. And so you can imagine the crowd behind Jesus simply separating like the Red Sea. Here, here comes this woman from behind Jesus and they see her coming and so they begin to split because they don't want to touch her. They don't want to be touched by her. And so she she sneaks up and she touches the garment of Jesus and then sneaks away. And this is what happens. This is verse 29. It says, immediately, all at once, her bleeding stopped. It stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed. That she was freed from her suffering, as if everything was going to begin to be put back in its right place. You see, for this woman, having this mentality of if I can just get to Jesus changed everything for her. Uh, for her, some of the things were immediate. Uh, the bleeding stopped immediately, but when you read Old Testament law, you know that once the bleeding stops, there's about this week-long process of becoming clean again. So of all the spaces that are out of order, at least one of the spaces has been put back right again immediately, and the, and the rest of the spaces are now in process of restoration. She's now gonna go through a process of becoming clean again so that she can rejoin the community. And once she rejoins the community, it's gonna take some time, but her, her mental and psychological health is going to begin to be restored. And once that happens and she's a part, she'll have access to resources again to, to buy food and to buy clothing. You see, this woman's healing, it's immediate, and yet it takes time for it to come to its full completion. But she has this mentality, if I can just get to Jesus. So the text says that immediately the bleeding stopped. We continue in verse 30. It says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my garments? Do you see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you have the audacity to ask us who touched me. Everybody's touching your clothes. But for Jesus, somebody did it with a certain mentality a certain motive, a certain if I can just get to Jesus, my life will change. And verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around. He kept looking around to see who had done this and the woman who had scampered off, she comes back. Then the woman knowing what had happened, knowing that Jesus was looking for her, she just came and fell at his feet. And she, she's trembling with fear, how is he gonna respond? I've, I've technically, by Levitical law, made him unclean. What are the people gonna think? I'm not liked as it is. What, what's gonna happen to me? And she tells Jesus the entire truth, the entire story. And Jesus responds to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. 
And this word for healed is the word sozo. It's it's the word that, it's not just a physical healing, but it's healing in every area of your life. It's rescue from danger and trouble. And then he goes on, he says, go in peace. Be completely freed from your suffering. the Greek word for peace is uh, the Hebrew cognate for shalom. In the Old Testament in Hebrew, when the word shalom is used, the word for peace in every area of your life, the word used for everything being put back in its right place, that word for shalom, when it's translated in the Greek, is the same word used here in the New Testament. You could almost hear Jesus saying in the first century, go in shalom. May your entire world be put back to rights. May everything be restored. You you see, Jesus is concerned with every area of our lives. Not simply our internal spiritual well-being. Not just our physical state. Not just our relational state. Jesus doesn't take a piece of our life and say, I'm concerned about that. The rest is up to you. Jesus sees the human life and the human experience as a whole. And Jesus wants it all restored. That's the great blessing to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Go out and be a blessing and you will bless the entire world. Everything will be put back to rights. So we, we find in this story that with this woman, Jesus is concerned about every area of her life. And if you're, if you're like me, you know that there's at least one area of your life that you can identify with, with the woman. For some of you, you're like, I identify with all of them. Like, that's me right now. For some of you, you think, yeah, financially, I'm super strapped. And it seems like every single month, there's more month than there is money. And for some of you, it's, man, yeah, I've been carrying a sickness or a cancer or a disease for years and years and years, and it seems like there's no end. For some of you, you would say, yeah, I'm just like the woman. Loneliness, isolation, feeling invisible in my workplace, in my school, and sometimes even in my home. Yeah, I totally relate. Relationally, I'm completely bankrupt. For some of you, psychologically, from the minute you were born, you were, you were predisposed or have a tendency towards anxiety, depression, uh, the kind of stress that isn't logical, the kind of stress that isn't healthy, the kind of stress that simply lingers. You see, for all of us, there's at least a part of the woman that we can identify with her suffering and her situation. And, and the gospel's news to us this morning is Jesus knows. Jesus cares. Jesus wants to get in the middle of it and begin to have his peace work its way into your life. And so we ask ourselves, what what confidence do we have in this? What what, what confidence do we have that that Jesus cares and that he's able to do and wants to do this? The answer from the text is simply the cross. It's the shedding of the blood of Jesus. The breaking of his body that extends peace to every area of our life. And so we're going to look at that. This is Isaiah uh, chapter 53 beginning in verse 1. The prophet is um, speaking uh, about an individual 
some scholars would say that this future individual will be a, a representative. Some would say that this scholar represents Israel corporately, uh, and then later on it will be summed up as uh, Jesus being the representative of Israel corporately. And, and the prophet is going to speak of an unknown person uh, coming at an unknown time to do a, a quasi-mysterious thing. And the author says this, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty. He had no majesty that would attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would be drawn to him. He was despised. He was rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering. Familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, like this kind of a person, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And then it begins to turn. The prophet says, but surely, surely he took up our pain. Surely he carried our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted, and then this famous passage, but he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us shalom. The punishment that brought us restoration. The punishment that brought the kindness and the goodness and the generosity and the wholeness of God, the punishment that brought that kind of peace to us, it was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That same word for the restoration and the healing of all things. And so this prophet points to the future, to an unknown person at an unknown time who's gonna do a quasi-mysterious thing. And then later in the New Testament, one of the disciples of Jesus is gonna point backwards. He's gonna reference this passage, and he's gonna say that future person at an unknown time is now a past person at a certain time, and it's Jesus. So this is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. Uh, Peter summarizes what Isaiah had been saying, he quotes, he himself bore our sins, and Peter is talking about Jesus specifically now. And as much as Isaiah knew there was gonna be crushing and bruising and piercing, didn't quite know what that looked like, but Peter says it was in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds were restored. By his wounds, we are made new. By his wounds, the entire cosmos is being put back into its right place again. For the New Testament writers, this peace was going to come by the blood of Jesus on the cross. It becomes our confidence. It becomes our assurance that Jesus wants to be involved. He wants to be present in all of our suffering. Paul will say it this way in Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, those of you who were once far away, and that's all of us, those of you who were once far away, you've been brought near. And not brought near by philosophy, 
or training or education. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself is the one that makes all things new again. And he's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his own body the law with its commands and regulations. Uh, Verse 17, Jesus came and he preached peace. He preached restoration. He preached the generosity and the renewal of all things to you who are far away. That's us. And peace to those who are near. For through him, we now have access to the Father by one spirit. This is absolutely, incredibly amazing news. And I'm, I'm inspired by the story of two women in the scriptures. One is the woman who has the, if I can just get to Jesus mentality. If I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his garments, and immediately something amazing happens. And in my life, I I immediately want amazing things to happen all the time. And then there's another woman in the Gospels who has that, it's, it's a parable, but she has that same mentality. If I can just get to Jesus, if I can just get to the Lord, things will change, but her Uh, Her justice, her peace is delayed. This is uh, Luke chapter 18. We're skipping a couple verses. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse one. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming Uh, to the judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Give me peace. Put everything in its right place. For some time, the judge refused, but finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, yet because this widow is so persistent, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. I'll see that everything is restored and renewed, put back in its right place, because if I don't, this widow might jump over the bench and attack me. And Jesus says, listen to what this rotten, unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Won't God restore and renew all things for his chosen ones who cry out to him, not just once, but day And night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and they get it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find people with that kind of faith? Will he find people that have a, if I can just get to Jesus mentality? Will he find people that have a sense of, I'm I'm just not gonna stop. I'm gonna lean in day and night. I'm gonna keep praying and praying and praying. If you ask me, I want, the, I want the former. I want immediate answers to my immediate problems and sufferings right now. Uh, but if you're like me, uh, those spaces are so few and they're so far between. And when you read the gospel accounts and when we experience life and put them next to each other, we find that oftentimes God's work in our lives, the way that he works out his peace, the way that he works out his restoration, the way that he works out his renewal is always different than we expect it to be. Oftentimes more delayed 
than we expect it to be. But, but, but the call of the disciple isn't to discern when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. The call of the disciple is simply to say, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just lean in, if I can just keep leaning in, it, it, it's the reason these church doors are open every single Sunday. We don't imagine that one Sunday everyone's going to come and when they walk out, everything's going to be better. Instead, our suffering, our trials, our tribulations, they are ongoing, but we gather here as the corporate people of God to encourage each other, to say, no, his, his peace is coming. His peace is slowly working its way through your life. His peace is slowly working its way through your marriage. His peace is slowly working its way through your singleness, through your sickness, through your disease, through your mentality that's difficult to sort out. His peace is coming and slowly it's working into your life. Uh, we'll close with this. This is Jesus himself. As he's leaving, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. Jesus' peace is accessible, but if I'm honest, my heart is filled with trouble. And at times, I'm filled with fear. About one thing or another, it depends on the season. Sometimes it's all at once. I just crawl in my room and watch Netflix for a day. Um, but that, that tends to be the life of faith is that if we're honest with ourselves, because of our, our seasons and our trials and our tribulations, our hearts can be filled with worry. They can be filled with fear. We can be afraid that our marriage isn't going to work out the way we thought it was going to. Our marital status isn't going to work out the way we thought it was going to. Our kids aren't going to play out the way we thought they were going to. The, the, the fear that our bodies won't ever fully recover the fear that when we retire, there's not enough money in the bank to make it through retirement. The fear and the worry that this anxiety or this depression is just always going to gnaw at me. But the reason we continue to gather together here is that there's a promise of peace. There's a promise of renewal. There's a promise of restoration. And even in the darkest times, the reason we gather together is to be encouraged from one another. Jesus is not done with us yet. He's not done with our situation. He's not done with our circumstance. He's not done with our fear. He's not done with the sense that we are afraid. But the peace, the renewal, the wholeness of Jesus towards his people is slowly working its way into our lives. And so we continue to gather together corporately to worship, to pray, to, to be family together. We meet in community groups on the midweek and on Sunday morning to share deeply about the things that are going on. We say, man, let me, let me pray for you. There's something about the life of faith that at the heart of it, we, we are leaning into the peace that Jesus is offering to his people. Sometimes we sense it immediately. Sometimes it won't come till years or decades down the road, and sometimes it just may not come until the other side. And Hebrews 11 makes it perfectly clear that's okay, and sometimes even better. But the encouragement this morning is no matter what suffering you have, financial, 
physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, psychological. Jesus cares. Jesus wants to be in the middle of it. Jesus is deeply familiar with it. And he wants his peace and his goodness and his generosity and his kindness to begin to work its way through your life. And so for some of you, you're sitting here, yep, I've been in suffering for a long time. Or yep, I've got this brand new aspect of suffering that, that just fell on my table and I don't even know the first step. I don't know Jesus. I don't know how the local church works. I, I don't know how prayer works. I, I wouldn't even know how to begin to lean into this. And I would say that on my left and your right, we have a prayer room. We have people that are trained, equipped, and want to meet with you in that room. You can show up and say, I don't know anything about this. I need you guys to help me out. And they're gonna say, we'd love to pray with you. For some of you, you've been a part of faith for a long, long, long time. And something's been nagging at you and you've been praying about it day and night and you're just thinking, man, I need to pray with somebody else. I need somebody else to agree with me about this, somebody else to know what's going on. We have a prayer team to my left and your right that would love to pray with you. See, Jesus is concerned. Jesus cares and he wants his peace to begin to work through his people. And so with that being said, let's stand together. I would encourage you as we go, um, if something about this resonates with you, if something in this would say, yeah, Austin, I've got a lot of suffering. Yeah, I've got a lot of problems. It's in my workplace. It's in my school. It's in my family. I, I just need somebody to pray with. Again, to my left, you're right. There are people that want to pray with you. Um, and so with that being said as well, we, I just want to remind you about these things. We have a few Christmas initiatives we'd love to have you be a part of. We've got a neighborhood walk this afternoon at 4 p.m. I'm going to be walking around the church at 4 p.m. I'll be walking with you. Um, I would encourage you to do that. And so with that being said, may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. May he turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. You guys have a great afternoon.